0: This is the Books Podcast, presented by Tim Hague.
1: You can't have a word-of-mouth hit if you can't remember its name. Iris Murdoch described writing blurbs as a mini-art form, which delighted me. A blurb as a kind of burlesque show. I ask
0: you, gentlemen of the jury, is this the kind of book you would like your wives and servants to Louise Wilder spent 25 years working for publishers, largely writing the blurbs for new published books. Louise, how lovely to meet you. Thank you for joining us on uh, Books Podcast.
1: It's great to be here, thank you. Now,
0: I'm sure you will agree that it is the height of rudeness when interviewing an author to start off by asking, so what's your book about? Because, of course, even if you haven't taken the trouble to read the book, you could have read the blurb. So, Louise, what's your book about? (laughs) Right. Um, Well, in keeping with your question, one way of describing my
1: book is the outside story of books. So it's about the words that we see on books, as well as the words we read inside them and the way that those words entice us to read books. So it's a book about books, for bibliophiles, but it's also a book about words and the way we use them to persuade each other in all areas of life, from movie posters to advertising. So I think it, you could describe it as something that's initially about something very small, which is those few words we read on the back of the book, but using them as a lens to create a whole literary celebration.
0: On the train coming here, I was thinking that uh, Cyril Connolly had said that uh, writing a bestseller is an exercise in seduction. And I thought, is this book like the, the sexy underwear then that, uh, that you put on it? <laughs> Sorry, that was a good noise. <laughs> um, well,
1: interestingly, one author did describe writing a blurb as a kind of burlesque show. So you want to, you know, you have a few feathers covering things up. You want to to tease a little bit, um, but, you know, not, not give the whole thing away. So... <laughs>
0: Possibly, yes. Oh, I love that. I, I'm, I'm, all, I'm going to keep quoting you back at yourself because it, it's really <laughs> entertaining. At uh, one point in your book you say, you know, on a blurb, is, is it fair enough to give away the ending? And then you put in brackets, spoiler, yes. Yeah. See what you did there. Oh, you see that? Thanks. That made me laugh. The whole book is like that, though. It's playful and it's funny as well as, as, as telling us stuff and, and, and where you're coming from. So where you're coming from is that you do this for a living,
1: I do indeed, yes. Um, Which is brilliant, I have to say. I've spent a quarter of a century nearly doing it. Um, It started off in this little library in our old Penguin offices where there was a group of us who just wrote blurbs and that's all we did. Um, We were in an office with the the walls were lined with books. We occasionally emerged to try and sort of track down a manuscript and that was it. We just read books and wrote and now things have changed. We're, We're Within marketing departments, and you know, the whole world has changed with the digital revolution. and Everything, um, but I would say writing blurbs and reading books is probably about sixty percent of what I do. Still, it's my bread and butter. It still. does
0: sound like an ideal existence. I mean, you, you've it's got great. a handwritten letter <laughs> from John Updike. I have. Of Thanks.
1: I have. I mean, th-
0: doesn't that doesn't that sort of thrill you? And, and uh... it's
1: wonderful, and I'm so glad I kept it because in our old blurb's office, we had files and files full of letters from the greatest authors, which I, I don't know where they are now. We moved offices, everything went into storage. I think they're probably all lost to time. And I'm so glad I had this one letter from John up I just decided to save and keep oh, I, with me. I think me. you did, right. I think I did, yes. I nearly brought it today, but I was worried I'd like leave it on the train I, or I,
0: something. I would have been thrilled oh. to see it, actually, Yeah. <laughs> Terry Pratchett once said to me um, that he always wrote his own blurbs. And I thought, well, why doesn't everybody? And that's that's got to be a question for you. Why don't people write their own blurbs? Why do they come to you? Well, it is a good question. And in this,
1: to be honest, some publishers, authors do write their own blurbs. In fact, quite a few of them. It's usually a combination of author and editor. Um, but I know that Penguin Books um, has always had this idea that you should have a professional in to do the blurb. Um, the, obviously, there used to be this entire department dedicated to it. Sadly, it doesn't exist anymore. But the idea is still that you need someone who can step outside the book. So obviously, I think you know there is a risk sometimes with an author or an editor that you can't, you have the curse of knowledge, I suppose. You know too much about a book in a way. Your head is full of it. And if you have someone who's outside of that work who can step in and then imagine that there's someone who doesn't know anything about it. I think that can be such an asset. But, you know, sometimes authors do write their own blurbs and they write them brilliantly. I mean, as you say, Terry Pratchett would often write, he said that you should write your blurb before you've even written the book, if you're an author, because it's such a good way way to think about structure, which is often what copywriters are doing, I think, adding structure to a story in a a different kind of way. Um, And so he obviously wrote, brilliant blurbs for his own books and many authors do but some some authors are natural copywriters and some aren't.
0: And go, well it is it's a different skill isn't it mm. I mean you wouldn't you wouldn't get a, a, a an author to do the, the cover illustration necessarily unless it was Alice de Grey but if yes. it, you know, but <laughs> and his blurbs are brilliant and, uh, yes. <laughs> um, and, and you've quoted um as, is it C. Day Lewis who said that, uh, that uh, there are three perfect literary forms: the sonnet, the detective novel, and the blur? Yes, yes. And 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 that that is the point, isn't it? That he, he it is a different uh, skill. It's a different uh, kind of writing.
1: Absolutely. Um, it's interesting. There's another um, Jeremy Lewis, another writer who he, he was an editor and he wrote this lovely. Um, memoir of publishing called Kindred Spirits and he also compares uh, blurbs to sonnets as well and so I think there is that sense that they need they have to tell a little story and I think we all know that but they're not a synopsis they're completely different they need their own kind of rhythm and their own kind of movement. Um, I remember reading an interview with Salman Rushdie where he said he was talking about writing one of his novels um, and he when he wrote a book for children sorry and his little boy said you know it needs to jump up more and I thought that's such a good description because I think this kind of copywriting it needs to be jumpy if that makes sense I think it needs to keep flowing and keep going and you can't lose anyone's attention even for a second so I think in in that sense it's a little craft all of its own it's not an art form I know Iris Murdoch described writing blurbs as a mini art form which delighted me (laughs) but um, I think it's something that you craft and you get the hang of it and it gets easier in that sense but also harder because you're also trying to search for the for new words all the time. Well it's, <laughs> it's harder
0: to write short than long yes. after all I mean yes. that's universally acknowledged I think. Definitely. Um, and, and you have what you'll have a hundred words to do?
1: Yes sometimes even less um, if you know if a designer has their way and <laughs> there would definitely be fewer than that and I've worked on some series which are very heavily designed small books where it's really there's just room for a sentence and so you, you know you that sentence has to do an awful lot of work.
0: How many have you done? Um, like, let's let's do a bit of your background then. How many blurbs have you written?
1: Well I, I worked it out at roughly 5,000 over 25 years <laughs> which sounds like a Rather a lot, doesn't it? I think, but often I'm I'm writing things from scratch. But sometimes I'm rewriting things, or I'm writing something for a classic where you know there have already been countless versions of, of blurbs for that book. You
0: have a section in the book in which people have done bizarre um, uh, distillations of classics. It, it's very funny, and oh, oh, Wizard of Oz is one that you've got, isn't it? Where... Yes, but
1: um, there's Um, it's it's actually it's. Uh, a deliberately inappropriate TV listing that w- that was done for TCM a few years ago, and it's. Uh it was for The Wizard of Oz. It says, transported to a surreal landscape, a young girl kills the first person she meets and then teams up with three strangers to kill again, <laughs> which I just love. And it actually became a bit of an internet sensation and the copywriter who wrote it um, <laughs> became a bit of a minor celebrity. Quite right, too. Quite rightly, oh, yes. Genius ought to be celebrated. <laughs> I absolutely and agree. <laughs> um, and I suppose I use that in the book as an example of what happens if you just describe a, fl- a plot, obviously that's done to very good comic effect there. But there has to be more than
0: that. But again, I'm mean, making somebody laugh. Uh, getting yes. somebody involved in any mm. way is obviously mm. going to be a part of, of of the of the art or the craft, whichever yes. we've decided it is. <laughs> Did you do the blurb for for this book for your own one? Oh, um,
1: sort of. I think yes. It, it, it's interesting. I've I was sort of dreading it because I think obviously I one of the things I do think is generally an author shouldn't write their own blurb if they can possibly help it. <laughs> and it,
0: should, it shouldn't look as though their mother wrote <laughs> yeah, I know, it. I am quoting you I again. <laughs> <laughs> but
1: then what do you do if you're a copywriter as well as an author? I don't know it gets tricky and one thing I did um, well just for fun really but also because I was interested to see the results was to ask um, six fellow copywriters from publishing to each write a blurb for my book um, which was a really fun exercise to do and it, it doesn't appear in the proof it's in the final book as an appendix Mm -hmm. um and each one is completely different and for me reflects each person's personality which I just find fascinating so I think we like to think we have this completely neutral perspective as a copywriter but clearly some of your personality does come through um and the other thing I decided to do was just get a computer a blurb generator (laughs) to write my own blurb which is just hilarious and ridiculous. Uh,
0: sounds wicked it, to it, me. It was
1: it was mad. That's the
0: <laughs> future and, and I don't like
1: it. Don't worry because <laughs> if, if judging by the standards of this blurb, it's not going to happen. No. <laughs> it would be gobbledygook everywhere. Um so yes that was a fun exercise to do, but in the end, I did sort of end up writing my own blurb with my editor, which is something obviously I say you shouldn't do, because the We really had room for just a few sentences because of the way the the final book is designed. You can see there isn't a a dust jacket. It's all on the book itself. And so there's this tiny space, Mm -hmm. which
0: we just had to
1: fill somehow.
0: (laughs) Well, again, now there's some interesting historical stuff in the book as well. You you talk about Alan Lane when he was uh, getting Penguin up and going Mm -hmm. and saying he didn't want uh, lots of blurb and he didn't want pictures on Penguin
1: books because he thought
0: it would... (laughs) what did he say oh, his bombs and boobs i think yeah. he told you. <laughs> and he was right yes he well. was 100% <laughs> right on that one so there is there is this question of how how much material you can get on it and um, mm. and and of course it's not it's not just blurbs and in your book is not just about blurbs isn't it what what's the uh, the, the uh, subtitle was uh, an a to z of literary persuasion we're also talking about uh, titles and, and and design and all of those things um I have to ask you about your title. How many how many goes did you have?
1: So many goes. I <laughs> actually list in the book the, some of the alternative titles that I thought of. And for a long time, Cover Stories was the favourite, um, which I think is a nice title, but I decided was just not a memorable title. I think one of the things I say in the book is you can't have a word of mouth hit if you can't remember its name. I mean, you know, if my book was to become a hit, that would obviously be a dream. But I think if... Um, it, you just need to help people, and if it's something memorable or something that might make people smile, some people might grimace, that's fair enough, it's a pun. I know people have <laughs> different reactions to okay, those. Okay, let's but, talk about okay. puns. What's your
0: attitude to puns?
1: <laughs> well, I'm a, I'm a huge fan if they're done well, and I suppose that's part of what I'm writing about. I talk about all sorts of literary effects, and, you know, from exclamation marks to puns, and I think if and if things are used sparingly like even you know swearing that you sometimes see on on book covers um and it's done with a, a a spirit of seriousness as well i suppose i think a lot of the puns i give examples of come from quite a a, a dark and serious place you know you know if you're talking about dorothy parker or quentin crisp or someone like that then i think they can work brilliantly and i i there's a someone wrote an entire book on puns called The Pun Also Rises, <laughs> um, of course. <laughs> <did> um, <laughs> um, and he talks a lot about the science, obviously, and how, you know, that what they do to your brains and how they set all kinds of neurons firing. And um how, you know, the whole idea of the pun is that it it's it's rude and disruptive. And so a lot of people who don't like puns, they think are people who like control. And so they like
0: language to be within their control oh, and they don't like it we can say it it's, it's it's my podcast we can say it what did kingsley amy say about language
1: <laughs> he said you're either um a burke or a wanker <laughs>
0: um, and what did he so... mean
1: by that <laughs> well um so oh now i've i need to just check which one is
0: Oh, I think Sorry. we, I think we can, we can uh, work it out from first principles. Uh, um, uh, surely, a, a Burke is somebody who uh, doesn't doesn't give a stuff about uh, language and, and is prepared to, you know, change everything around. And a Wanker is somebody who um, cares too much. Yes, yes, the pedants. The yes. pedants yes. So I have handing
1: my head up the other way around. Anyway, um, yes. So it's. It's one or the other, so it's the it's
0: the you know the people. Well, none of this is very flattering, isn't it? No, no, it's
1: the people who get completely irate about a grosser's apostrophe, and the oh, people me. who say <laughs> who say no, it's fine, just chill. Language changes all the time, and so um, the reason I was writing about this was was talking about Orwell and his use of language, and you know Orwell's rules for writing, which a lot of people find too restrictive, um, but actually, I try and show, hopefully really do tell us a lot about clarity in language
0: and of course Orwell wrote like an angel yes so you have to listen to him even if you, <laughs> you do <don't laughs> follow his uh, instructions and we've we've touched on some of the literary greats T.S. Eliot wrote a lot of, uh, of blurbs for Faber yes. Um, yes do you know how many he wrote Do you know have any, have any idea of- um
1: one of his um fellow editors said thousands so really? yes, um, I think i, I quote him in the book, and he he describes them writing blurbs as the torture of publishing. And said, and, and Eliot wrote thousands, and I have no idea how he found the time to do anything else because he was so busy he writing these blurbs. Them. Old
0: Possum's Book yes. of Log Rolling. Oh or yes, wouldn't that have been <laughs>
1: brilliant? <laughs> I know, in, and obviously you can see a few examples still. You know, which which I quote, um, which are. Quite funny in their own way. You know, describe it. it the white Robert Graves is the white goddess is a monstrous, <laughs> indefinable book. And then um the blurb he wrote for Louis, Louis McNeese's poems, which he he talks them about them being um, uh it's the you know the the things that the, I think they, they they have a modest appeal. You know, <laughs> he's you know he's definitely not letting himself go on that one.
0: <laughs> well, I, that, you see, that brings me back to the, the next question. Is writing the blurb ever about disguising a book's shortcomings?
1: Mm. Um, I think not disguising, but ignoring. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: Oh, I see. Sweeping under the carpet.
1: <laughs> yes. Skirting round. Um There's a description I quote from the Italian writer Roberto Calasso in the book where he talks about um, writing a blurb as introducing someone at a party. So it's, it's the same, you know, you... you you wouldn't say well you know well they go on a bit <laughs> they're a bit they're a bit long-winded they're quite friend. nice <laughs> yes <laughs> they do sag in the middle rather but so <laughs> and so I think as as he says it's this it's the same with the book you you politely point out the the good points um and obviously Colasso wrote he was publisher at Adelphi as well as being a writer in his own right and he wrote hundreds and hundreds of, of blurbs for Adelphi too and um he's really interesting on the art of blurbs and how you know you're continually searching for the right adjective where there aren't that many in the language um and yes one of his big things is about it's you know it's kind of like a calling card he also calls a blurb a letter to a stranger and so um I, I do like to think of it in this way as it you know it's it's a sort of one reader trying to communicate with another I suppose
0: you do have a bunch of adjectives that you tell us that you shouldn't use
1: I do although it sounds very prescriptive, doesn't it? I don't see people shouldn't use them because I think i've 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 used a lot of them, I'm sure, and sometimes you know you people have to talk about hundreds of books and um and and there are only so many words in the language and sometimes we're all in a hurry, but I think in general to avoid them is good because I think they have become a bit of a a publishing jargon in themselves so I, I divide them up into little categories so you have like the light adjectives which obviously you see all the time on mm. books so luminous dazzling <laughs> searing oh so many um and then the natural disaster adjectives so you have explosive <laughs> shattering that kind of thing and then it's like you know um i've the i've got a i've got a virus adjectives so like you know they're staggering you're bowled over by it and I just find it fascinating that because publishing is a business that's all about words, but just like so many other industries, like sport or like journalism or like the art world, we have our own jargon. It's that language that we just use to talk to each other in a way, yeah. which I find really—you say if you ever see the word
0: magisterial on a book, oh, you mean it's really long, really long, <laughs> or you know, readable. Well, it's a book.
1: Yes, <laughs> it's like my other bugger bear. In this book, well, no, no.
0: it's a <laughs> book, and wear. there are
1: things in it. Yes.
0: <laughs> Do you have any uh, favourites and worst? Oh, I'd love to know. Oh, there's so the
1: worst. many bad ones. They're more fun, aren't they? Yeah. And, and so I talk about a lot that I really admire. Um, and so I think if something stood the test of time, I think that's a good good sign. And I talk about the the copy that appears on *The Handmaid's Tale* by Margaret Atwood. And again, I've I've got a really old battered edition that that starts um that the copy starts with the line um the republic of gilead allows offered only one function to breed which i just think is a great setup it's world building in one little sentence um and the the whole blurb is replicated on editions now and i think you get, again you know that's that's one that's really stood the test of time but obviously you know I, i'm unearthed all sorts of horrors and um, a lot of American pulp editions of classics are really fun, like from the 40s and 50s, because obviously, you know, you know the story. And so when you see the description, you know how terrible it is. Like, there's one for uh, Therese Rackham, which is like, Theresa only listened to the demands of the flesh. And it's like, <laughs> you have to read it in that it voice might in be your a bit head. Well, I know.
0: <laughs> Are American blurbs different? You, you suggest that there's a difference in approach between the UK and America.
1: I think there is, yes, and obviously the word blurb itself has different connotations, well, different meanings, really. Um, in the UK, it's it's more commonly used to describe, it's for a paragraph of descriptive copy on a book, whereas in the States, it is um, an advanced endorsement provided by another writer, so we would probably just say a quote. Um, it's really instructive, that cultural difference, in, in you know between the the way that books are, are packaged in different cultures then i talk about i use one example of a book which um in french is chanson Douce, which is lullaby and so the um the uk edition was called lullaby um in america they called it the perfect nanny and you can use that as as a, a case in point of how you know the american copy is very hyperbolic very filled with adjectives ours is far more minimalist and very thrillery and then the french edition basically <laughs> like has nothing on it it says that the the writer won the pre-goncourt that's it that's like, you know it's a kind of a Gallic shrug of of copy <laughs> yeah, it's just it's like take it or leave it that's fine it's up to you <laughs>
0: well you have a chapter entitled the life-changing magic of a title and, and which which i loved and of course this is the thing isn't it when when we come to a book as as a consumer. It's a finished product, and the title is is, is a given because mm. that's what. The, but it, it it didn't arrive, you know. It didn't spring like Athena from from the head of G- Zeus, uh, fully fully <laughs> formed. It, um, you, you do the great, great Gatsby, and I've forgotten mm. what the uh, what the options were. Oh, but it they...
1: was um uh the high bouncing lover, which is extraordinary. Um. The uh, Trimalchio in West Egg a was another. which
0: which I know. Which,
1: which um, he really loved and so Fitzgerald was really, you know, really keen on this title and, and regretting it, you mm. know, at the time of publication that
0: he hadn't gone for this other title. Do you think <laughs> it would have been as successful if it had not been called <laughs> The Great is. Gatsby? The Great Gatsby is a, t- a wonderful title. It's wonderful, isn't it?
1: It's so interesting and and there's no way of knowing, is there, you know, in some parallel world, what would have happened if, yes, The Great Gatsby had been called Trimalco in West Egg, 1984 had been called The Last Man in Europe, <laughs> um, Pride and Prejudice had been called First Impressions. Who knows, perhaps the works would have just spoken for themselves anyway. But I just feel that those those titles are selling. And, and you know, we're, people are a bit sniffy sometimes about selling these days. But I think those titles sold those books. You know, they were... Two of them are very alliterative, *The Great Gatsby*, *Pride and Prejudice*. You know, 94 has a number in it. Titles um, with numbers in are very successful. *1984* yes. has a, a yeah. music. Has to that it. word "music"? Doesn't 22
0: it? *Catch 22* has music yes. in the way that *Catch 19* yes wouldn't.
1: Completely agree. Yes. Mm. Um, so, in in some ways, you can't really pin down that magic, but I think there are things sometimes that these things have in common, and and I do wonder if it's you know something either repetition or something concrete um i was talking to someone today actually and we were talking about how there was a book a few years ago which was a big hit called a short history of tractors in ukrainian and how um the poster ads for the author's next book just said the new one by that tractors woman which i just <laughs> thought was brilliant because obviously you remember the word tractor you remember the concrete thing um you know that the...
0: oh and you also refer to was there a bus that had zadie smith's uh book on and said believe the hype yes yes which yes. Uh, that's brilliant yes. that's absolutely brilliant because it says you know this is already there you're yes. having to catch up
1: yes yes
0: that was clever it was it really was you also have some trenchant things to say about uh, subtitles and you've given your book a subtitle you're not always sure they're a good idea
1: yes i think I, the, I, the the wallflower at the party is one description of them mm. <laughs> that is they're often quite functional and quite plain and generally forgotten um after a book has been published like
0: frankenstein the modern prometheus
1: yes yes i think i think that that there was that fashion for a while wasn't for novels to have subtitles mm. and i think now sadly they're not as poetic as those sort of subtitles that you had you know the story of a pure woman um i think um, that was for tess wasn't tess? Right, tess tess, it was, yes so so i think now they tend to be far more functional it's how when where Um, And so I suppose with mine, I thought, well, you've got a silly title, really. Let's face it, it's quite silly. And so I need something quite concrete and quite anchoring. So I thought I'll go for the A to Z. That makes people think they're going to get something um, hopefully quite practical as well as fun. Oh, because it is. Uh, I mean, (laughs) you you could learn how to do it
0: from the book as well as having a good time. Um,
1: And so I think they are generally forgotten. But, you know, sometimes you can have a subtitle that gives a nice little... A little extra sparkle to a title as well. So I think one I've I've talked about is um, uh, the book, Owen Jones book, "The Establishment" and how they get away with it. Um, yes, which I think just it's you know just follows up on that title nicely. That
0: is technically a subtitle, but really it's a disguised. Big title, isn't it? Yes, it's, it's, it is. It's yes, pretending yeah. to be a subtitle—it's a bit of
1: a cheat, isn't it? That well, one? <laughs>
0: I, I don't think we're going to say cheat, but it's—it's a—it's a somewhere yeah. in between.
1: Yes, yes, it's. What,
0: I actually came up with that one,
1: so that's fine. I oh, can did say you? it's a cheat. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, another one I like is for a book I didn't work on—a book called Quiet, um, which is sort of like self-help, and it's the power of introverts in a, in a world that can't stop talking, which I think is very clever because it's got that contrast in it.
0: I think it's nice that you confess that you had thirty-nine different subtitles for this before you settled on the one.
1: I've still got the, the word documents, and occasionally I look at it if I just want to feel very anxious. <laughs> I get the mouse, think, "Oh God, um, yes." I just, um, I think maybe because I am in publishing and because of the job I do, I wonder if I just worried about these things even more than other authors. Possibly not. I'm sure all authors worry about these things a lot, but. Um, it's you know searching for those words to get it right, and who knows if if I have or not. It's impossible, isn't it, to tell?
0: Well, um, um, you clearly clearly having the blurbs; otherwise, they wouldn't have kept you on for all those years. Yes. And the books <laughs> are just utterly delightful. It's funny and it's um and it's informative. And oh, it, thank and it, you. <laughs> it speaks to um yeah bookish people very very much. Um and yeah, I've got half a dozen relatives are getting this for christmas so it's brilliant <laughs> <thank you> very <laughs> i'm
1: much. very glad to hear that thank you i hope they enjoy it
0: <laughs> well i hope they will enjoy blurb your enthusiasm and a to z of literary persuasion by louise wilder which is published by one world at 14 pounds 99 i think that's a bargain that was books podcast presented by tim Hay. books podcast is a green shoot production You can find out more at www.green-shoot.com and Tim can be contacted on tim at green-shoot.com.